with us for the first time today. It's an awesome to have you here. Um, it means a lot to me that you come and choose to spend your time with our family, with what Melanie said here. We, we really want to go beyond just membership to no matter how big we get, no matter how many people there are, that you're always a part of a family. Family is having somebody that watches out after you. Family is having somebody that does life with you. And uh, I'm excited about that tonight. Let me add my two cents in to, um, to our One Step Connect class that will be tonight. Um, it's not too late to join us. Matter of fact, if you have our church, uh, church center app on your phone, you can get on it right now, click sign up, and you can be registered to be there with us tonight. And uh, just if you do that, it helps us prepare to make sure we, we have everything ready for you. But it's just a chance for us to come. If, again, like Melanie said, if you have any questions about the church, about, again, the whys and the hows that we do here, um, <clears throat> I encourage you to come tonight. And honestly, I'll give you a, a little insight. We've really been working hard on some way to find a way that works for us culturally, to find a way that works for us in our lives and how busy we are, to be able to help you as you, as you guys are new, those of you who are, and want to make this your home. We want to make that process as seamless and easy as possible so that you can come in, be connected, be a part of the family, serve and then we can all do God's dream together. And that's see people in Sylvania change, see your lives change, and see those who are hurting find healing, and those who are lost find, find their way to God, and God will use us to do that. Amen? Amen. Also, I'm excited. Next week we get to start our You Asked For It series. It's one of the more popular ones we do every year. Um, that comes from the, the survey that we did at Easter. And then right after that, I think... Um, I'll go ahead and start telling you now, we will be doing our At The Movies. And so if we're doing At The Movies, we do that. That is your key to invite. That is your key to start inviting people. Start now thinking about it. Um, we have a huge response to those Sundays. We'll do popcorn and candy and the whole nine yards and, and do it like we have in the past. And uh, I think you'll be blessed. But I know for a fact we, people can meet Jesus through something as silly as our interpretation or our version of at the movies. So let's start and we'll finish up today our series on the Beatitudes. Again, if you've missed it, all eight are on our on demand online. You can go and watch those. But the Beatitudes are simply these eight statements that Jesus makes at the beginning of what is known to most of us as sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, which have actually probably would have been about three consecutive days of Jesus talking and Jesus teaching. And it's most of the book of Matthew, starting in Matthew chapter 5. For the next couple chapters. But today, we're going to start one. And again, this, this one's going to be, I don't want to say sticky, but it's difficult. Because I, if it's hard for me, then I'm assuming I'm not the only one that it's hard for all of us. That I think it's one that most of us as Americans, and I need you to think culturally here. Because if you've ever traveled and left the country, whether it be going to Europe or Central America where we go a lot, or I've been in South Africa, or just anywhere in the world, they don't do things like we do. And there's a lot of us who, um, we take that for granted. That no matter where you fit on what how you would label yourself politically, that and no matter how much, no matter, really no matter how much money you have or don't have, most Americans are actually in the top 1% in the world. That's how poor some of the rest of the world is. So what we're talking about today can be very 
um, skewed for us. Nonetheless, Jesus thought it was important enough for us to deal with. And that is this word called persecution or persecute. That's defined as this, to make, to run, to put to flight, to drive away, to be hostile manner, to, to harass, trouble, mistreat, to be hostile and to be um, accusative, to point fingers at. Now, anybody ever dealt with that? Anybody ever been accused of something you didn't do? Anybody ever accused and talked bad about something you did do? Yeah, see, this, that, this is not a right or wrong thing. This is somebody just coming at you to drive you away. But persecution looks a lot different in the rest of the world, though. If you go in China right now, I know some churches that have uh, some pretty serious ministry in China, and they can't tell their congregation. They can't tell anybody about it because if the word gets out, those people will disappear. Poof. They... The, I was talking to one missionary about his contacts in China, and they're so afraid of being kidnapped, killed, and taken away that they actually memorize the Bible. They don't carry the Bible with them in any form, on their phones or in a paper and print. They memorize it because that way they can't be identified and used against them because of the persecution against the church. China is actually right now um, experiencing more salvations than a lot of places in the world. Actually, other places in the world, like you would not think so, like in the Middle East, all those countries in that Middle East region, a lot of those are experiencing great revival and people getting saved. But at the same time, those saints that are getting saved are also being executed. They're, they're, they are being uh, driven away from what they believe. So the, the word persecution, though, in the world is really much more than somebody not being nice to you. Somebody at work not opening the door for you or maybe giving you a smart aleck answer or talking down to you. Is it right? No. But are they taking you out and executing you? See, persecution, there is a matter of perspective for it. So let's look at our beatitude today. We'll finish with this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. It says, God blesses those who are persecuted for just doing what's right. The other versions say, and persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I love the way that the, the guy who, who uh, paraphrased the Bible and did the message version, which is not a version, actually, it's a paraphrase. He said, you're blessed when, you com when your commitment to God provokes persecution. That the persecution, and I want to key on these words, persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. See, the, the devil uses persecution to do just the opposite. He comes after you to drive you away. He comes, and he can use anybody. We've, I've been here now in, in Sylvania and doing church here for 23 years, and I've watched time and time again where families will actually drive other family members away from church or away from God. I can't believe you guys believe that stuff. Those people are crazy. They... They're, they're two-faced, they're hypocrites, and they, they come after you and trying to do exactly what the definition of persecution is. That we're blessed, the Bible says, this version says, when our commitment to God should provoke a reaction in somebody, right? Our, our faith, when we encounter people, no matter if you're the type A, in-your-face kind of person, 
or if you're just a laid-back kind of guy, still our life should provoke in somebody, hey, wow, I, I see a big change in you. That's awesome. On the good side, or the other side is, who do you think you are? You think you're better than me? You think just because you go to church, you're special? That, that, then it goes to the persecution side. So let's, let's ask this question. That, so I'm supposed to be happy when people make it rough to serve God. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that you're blessed for doing right, for being righteous. So if that's our goal, then we ask this question, so how is this a good thing? If I have persecution in my life and somebody's coming after me, and I'm not going into all the different forms of persecution, but they, do, they range from somebody just not liking what you do to somebody going after you. Somebody attacking you, trying to drive you away. Ultimate goal is to separate you from your relationship with God and your relationship with the people of God. But there are some good indicators that persecution around you does show some things. And the first thing it shows is that you're heading in the right direction. Now let me put a, a pin there and put a little asterisk and give you a but. If you've got a lot of stuff going wrong in your life, you can't just say, well, I must be getting persecuted because everything's falling apart. It could be that you're just messed it up. Well, that didn't fly very well. Right? We blame a lot of stuff on the devil, but if we're really honest, we can dig the hole all by ourselves. Now, will the devil send people to help you dig that hole? You better believe it. You start digging and suddenly there's a whole, whole bunch of people that want to help you dig the hole that they're going to bury you in. But the truth of the matter is, a lot of the things in our lives that we're reaping the, the fruit of, we did it ourselves. We dug that hole. We planted the seed, we watered the seed, we fertilized the seed, and we cheered it on to grow. And then we complained when it did. So I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is if your life's going in the right direction and you find you're getting closer to God and your relationship's getting stronger, you're serving more, you're giving more, and you're seeing the results of that, your family is blessed. Your family was in maybe turmoil and kids aren't getting along and relationships and marriages are falling apart. And now that you're serving God, those things begin to turn. Now in all that, could people still be coming against you? You better believe it. But if you're, per if you're being persecuted, a lot of times the devil's fighting you. And he's fighting you because he ultimately wants to, to ruin the relationship. Your relationship with God, your relationship <clears throat> with your spouse, with your friends and the family. If he can drive you apart then he begins to win. And in this last beatitude, it's interesting. Some, some pastors and some theologians break this into a ninth one. But I kind of think Jesus is describing the eighth one. Because then just after this, he says, blessed are those who persecute you. And if you look at Matthew 5, 11, it says, well, did I skip it? No, that's it. That God blesses you when people mock you. He's now talking about the persecution. When they mock, mock you, when they persecute you, and when they lie about you. Now, has anybody ever had one of those three happen to them? Yeah. It gets personal, doesn't it? As, 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 a, as a guy, a lot of times the guys were like, oh, it doesn't bother me, just say what you want. Bull. <laughs> Words hurt. Lies hurt. Several years, many years ago, I had a group of people come after me, and they came after me hard. I mean, I, I'm like, I, I know, like, serial killers who aren't getting this much attention. 
and this is just me, little Clint in Sylvania, and you guys are coming at, and, and they're doing this, mocking, persecuting, and telling lies about me. And really, at one point, saying some pretty evil things about me as, as a pastor. I'm like, what did I ever do to you? But it began to dawn on me, I must be stepping on some devil's toes. Like we're going in the right direction. This wasn't, and I did this self-examination. God, if this is something I've opened the door to, then you need to tell me because I need to close this door quick. I need to repent, say I'm sorry, ask forgiveness, whatever I need to do to stop this. But if this is the attack of the enemy, then God, I need you to defend me. And you'll see, I think, in the way we react and the way I reacted in this situation, it took a little time. But those who know me best and who were around then and are close to my life, I was vindicated. God proved me to be faithful to him and not faithful to this mess, and none of, that, of which none of it was true. See, the Bible, Paul says this. If you remember the Paul who wrote, Apostle Paul who wrote most of the New Testament, the brother knew what it was like to be persecuted. Anybody know Paul's story? He was stoned. He was stoned naked. He was stoned naked and thrown outside of town. He was whipped. He was beaten. He was thrown in jail. All because of what he was doing, is trying to do what was right, trying to follow God. And, and Paul says this. He's, he's showing something. And he says, hey, this happening in my life shows God is working through me, that I'm going in the right direction, but now it's... Now this is beginning to prove to me that God's going to be able to work through me in this mess because I can't defend myself. I can't make people stop what they're doing. But God can take care of it. Look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12. He says this. He says, each time he came, God responded to him. He said, my grace is all you need. My power works best. This is God talking in weakness. So now Paul says, I'm glad to boast about my weakness. Why? Because it's not about me being weak. It's about how strong he is in me. See, God doesn't want you weak. He's not after us to be, to be sissies for God, to let people push us around and let the devil push us around, and that when somebody questions what we believe, to just kind of cower and just let whatever happen. That's not what he's asking. But Paul said, hey, when I've gone to the end of my strength, doing everything right that I can do, the cool thing about this, what's going to happen is, God's got my back. That the power of Jesus begins to show up in me. I begin to have favor with people. I begin to, God, the Bible says that he gives you wisdom even in what to say and, and how to say it. But he says in the next part of the verse, he says, that's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults, hardships, and persecutions and trouble that I suffered for Christ. Now this is a guy that again, beaten, stoned, whipped, you name it, it was done to him because of what he was doing. And then he ends with that line that says, but when I'm weak, no, 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 then I'm strong. He's pointing out the fact that God's doing something in his life. God's working. He's working in and, and through me. Paul writes Timothy and says this, don't think anybody, don't think you're special. That everyone who wants to live as God desires to do what's right in Jesus, will be persecuted. That's everyone. Nobody's special. 
here's, again, where those two tie together, that you're going the right direction, God's working through you, is that when people are coming against you and the devil's using people to come against you, the Bible's pretty clear. You're going the right way. But I've asked people who tell me before, like, all this is going wrong in my life. I'm, all this is happening to me. Is the devil doing it? And it goes back to that question of, well, what are you doing in life? Are you serving God? Are you in church? Are you, are you giving? Are you tithing? Are you reading your Bible? And no, 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 no. Well, you're not being persecuted. You're just, being, you're just, you're just living the results of sin. That, there's a difference. And Paul says, but Timothy, you need to know when you and your friends stand up and stand up for me that everybody, the world's going to bark back at you. That the world is coming at you. That the world is against, the world's against you. But here's where I want to go today. This presents us a challenge. And it presents, especially, I'll speak for us, if you're visiting today, this is, let me be your pastor for a minute, just, you'll be a, a guest member of our family today. Because this is very important to us, because I've seen a lot of people and Christians and churches do what I think is completely wrong. And I think it affects the health of church, and it affects your health as a Christian. But if you remember the definition of persecute, that it's to make to run, to put to flight, to drive away. But it presents us this issue, because we can't fold from what we believe. We can't just say, oh, well, if the fact that Jesus died on the cross and the Bible says he died a horrible death, that that blood or that imagery offends you, then we'll just change it. You know, they were mean to Jesus. And then Jesus said, okay, I forgive you, and he saved us. That's two different stories, right? That's folding. That's, that's not standing firm. See, look what the Bible says. This, again, is out of the message in Luke 21. Remember, he told Timothy, everybody. So he says, you'll even be turned on. Now, I'm, I, I put this here because I want you to think about this and, and these words and, and think, does it fit your life? Because it, when it's this first group, it makes it a whole lot more sensitive. You'll even be turned on by your parents, your brothers, your relatives, and your friends, the people you thought had your back, the Bible says they can turn on you. Then it goes on to say, some of you are going to be killed. There's no telling who's going to hate you because of me, because you're choosing to do what's right. Peter, he says this. He says, you need to stay alert. In First Peter, he says, you stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, this devil, is prowling around like a lion. And he says, stand firm. Hey, in the next verse, in verse 9, he says, stand firm. And remember your faith. You're believing in something bigger. And remember that there's believers all over the world that are going through the same kind of mess you are. So here's the rub. Here's what's hard about this. You, persecution may come through people but it comes from the devil. There's no doubt. We can't deny. If I say to you, think of one person that you would, right now, get this person in your mind, you'd rather have your hand smashed by a hammer than have to talk to them for five minutes. 
Every one of you had somebody pop in their mind. You knew exactly who your choice would be. Just hit me with the hammer. I don't even want to talk to you. Just let me have it. It's going to hurt. I know. See, the Bible, the Bible says that the devil uses people. He uses people, some knowingly, some ignorantly, to, to come against you. So we, we have to stand firm. You have to be able to, to stand firm in the words, to stand firm in what God says. The ultimate test or the ultimate image of that is people that I've read stories about in these countries all over the world being brought to gunpoint, gun put to their head. You either deny that your God is real or you're dead. And we all like to play this. Oh, I, I mean, I'd testify, huh? I'd testify about Jesus right up till the end. Would you? If you went to that, had that extreme of persecution, gun to your head, Jesus is good, Jesus bad, you believe in Jesus, deny him. We all like to think we would. But the Bible says that Satan wants nothing more than to try to separate you from that faith, to separate you from this. So we're going to have to stand firm. So that's one side of the coin. Here's the other side of the coin. The Bible tells us in Psalm 143.3 that the enemy has persecuted my soul. He's used the, the people, the world, the things of the world to come after us to persecute you. So we have to stand firm. But it brings us to this question of how do we stand firm but love well? Now hear me out. How do we stand firm in what God's asked us to do, to what his word is? We don't deny Christ. We don't water it down. We don't make the gospel what it's not just to make people so they, they, they don't get offended. They don't get triggered or whatever the current word is. And I'm going to be honest with you. I, I don't know that I have this completely figured out. I know what the Bible says, but translating that into me is tough. Because there is, if I'm honest and transparent, there's a part of me of being persecuted. I don't want to love you. I, 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 don't, I don't want to talk to you. I, I don't want to even know that you're breathing the same air that I, right? Like, that's the way we react when somebody comes at us. I don't want anything to do with you. Unfortunately, it's not, it's not what the Bible says. How do we not waver on truth? But how do we do this? How do we be a church that anyone in any condition and in any place in life can walk in those doors and experience the same love of God you did? Have you ever thought about that? The one person that is your um, mortal enemy the person that you just that gets your blood boiling. The Bible says they can walk through that door and experience the same thing you have. When I read, when I was writing this this week and thinking about it and going over this, I, man, that's hard. Because this is the truth. The truth of the gospel is this: the same people that persecute me, Jesus died for them too. 
Swallow that one and choke on it for a minute. The same people that in my mind, I'd soon punch them in the mouth as talk to them. Y'all don't look at me like I'm crazy. Y'all all thinking the same thing. Jesus died for them too. And there's an expectation of God, which we actually talk about in, in One Step Connect. We talk about, hey, there are going to be people coming through those doors that you don't get along with. But I'm not asking you to cozy up and have a coffee with them. I'm asking you to do what the Bible says and you love them the same way God loved you. It's a sobering thought to understand that one day you were a jerk. One day people pointed to you and said, I don't want to talk to that jerk because of something you did and somebody you persecuted and something we said. So we don't waver on truth, but how do we do this? Anyone, any condition, at any place in life. But yet we have to stand. But yet we have to love well. And I'm going to end this series with something that's not easy. And again, I, I even put it in my notes. So something that I'm telling you, I struggle with. It's hard sometimes. When we did the Beatitude on Grace that next week in the office, we had a lot going on. Stuff wasn't working. And I kept hearing Melanie in the other office, show them grace. Have them grace. Show them, remember, you said great. Remember? I'm like, shut up. Slam the door. <laughs> no, I don't want to hear it. But she's right. And here's an, uh, that one was hard, and this one might be harder. Because grace sometimes is easy, easy to give to stupid people. Y'all get what I'm saying? People who just, they're ignorant and they're dumb and they just make dumb decisions and, you just, and they, it maybe affects you, but you can just, oh, God, God bless your sweet little hearts. I give you grace, I forgive you. But when the person comes into you and points their finger in your face and tells you that you're a liar, that you're a cheat, that you did this and you did that and that you're not godly and that you don't serve God, now you're getting up all in my business. Now it's a little too close for comfort, right? So I want to summarize these three verses. I'm going to give you Matthew, 13, Matthew 5, 13 to 16. This is just after the Beatitudes. After Jesus, that last line about persecution, he says this. He tells people, this is Jesus, again, in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you're the salt of the earth. Don't lose it, because salt that has no saltiness is no value. You're the light of the world. Let your good deeds shine for all those to see, so that what happens? People meet Jesus. Now, it doesn't say in here, only talk to the people that you like. Those people that, that you have something in common with and you can hang out with, those are the people that you go, let them see your deeds. Because the Bible is very clear in other parts of the New Testament. It says they'll know you by what? The fruit. I walk up to an apple tree. Apple's hanging on the tree. I can go what? Apple tree. I walk up to a, to a walnut tree. Walnut's hanging on the tree. I can identify it. People do that to us whether we're, no matter what fruit we're showing them. One, the good stuff, or two, the not good stuff. They walk up and say, you're a hypocrite. Is that what fruit's hanging off your life? Or are they, they really persecuting you and coming, and coming at you? So how do we do this? How do we stand firm and love well? May not what, be what you expected to hear about when you hear about persecution. 
Because the bottom line in persecution, the Bible says it happens, it's going to happen, and when you get through it, guess what? It's going to happen again. Because the, wor the world's not going to stop and Satan's not going to stop. It's going to happen again. And it's, it's just, it's life. The devil's fighting a war he doesn't know he's lost. And he's going to fight all the way until the end. And so it's, it's going to happen. So we have to be able to stand firm and love well. But here's the problem. And these frustrated me. The three I'm going to give you, they frustrate me. Because here's the, the truth is, what I'm going to tell you, you already know. The problem is, you only apply them to people you like. We only apply them to people that don't annoy me. And it's a problem. Because when you think through these and you look at them, I'm like, I just don't know if I can do this. So here's the three. The first one. Look over the offense. Consider the person. Sometimes that's easier said than done. Because when you see a person that's offended you, that's persecuted you, or that's whatever come against you, I look at you and I see nothing else. But let me ask you this question. In your mind, if you think about your darkest, most lonely, maybe biggest mistake in life, whatever fits, and you think about that, what if Jesus looked at you that way? What if Jesus looked at you the way we look at people? All I see is the offense, and buddy, you're a jerk. You came after me, you came after my family, and you're just a jerk. What if Jesus looked at us and said, all I see is your, your screw-ups, your mess-ups. I can't see anything else. The Bible says that we overlook the offense and consider the person. That the love side of us should do something. Proverbs 10 says this, that hatred stirs up quarrels. It's going to make it worse. If I go at you, it's just going to make it worse. You're mean and ugly to me and I go back at you, it's just going to make it worse. But it says this, but love makes up for offenses. Makes up means takes over what the shortcoming was. It fills the gap. Proverbs 19.11 says this, sensible people control their temper. Now, without raising your hand, anybody fit in the temper category? Those of you staring at the person next to you, one of you does. One of you's got a temper and you're telling the other one to back it down. I mean, I can get there. That they earn respect by doing what? Overlooking wrongs. I want to, I didn't get into the original language of this, but I do want to say, I don't think God expects us to just ignore it. Especially if it's something that is damaging to us. It's hurting us. It's physically, no more than I would tell somebody in abusive relationships. You're not, don't stay in that relationship. Get out of it. But he, I don't think God expects us just to ignore it. The reason we look over the offense and consider the person is because the love that we receive should allow us to recognize there's pain in that person's life. There's a reason the dude that's a jerk is a jerk. Some of them you may have to dig deep. <laughs> like you've got to go way back. You've just always been a jerk. 
Some of them could have been that the last person they encountered, the last Christian they encountered, didn't do this and just jumped all over them. Didn't show them any love. Didn't show them any kindness. Didn't say, listen, I'm not going to even dignify that with response. God loves you. I love you. I'm moving on. See, love recognizes that there's pain in a person's life. The second thing is you have to refuse to let persecution reside as unforgiveness. A lot of us just translate this. Somebody comes at me, we take record of it. I don't know if y'all do. This is the way I do it. Mentally, I'm like, okay, October 22nd. At, uh, it's about 11. I'll just pick on Jimmy. Jimmy was a jerk. And I, I like underline it, bold it, put it in my iPhone, save it on my computer, have it come up every day. Remember next time you saw Jimmy, he's a jerk. He was ugly to you. And, just, and so it resides in our lives as this, as this unforgiveness. Well, this is not a message on unforgiveness, but if you go back, there's plenty on the website that we've done on unforgiveness, but that's just going to grow like a cancer. And I promise you, the thing that you harbor will be the thing that you deliver to the next person you encounter. So if you're harboring this persecution, this anger, the next person that walks up to you, Christian, maybe even another brother or sister in Christ, you're going to do the dim what you're harboring. Because like a seed that's planted, it grows and it festers. And it does become, I think, in some cases, I think it can be literally people just, it's almost like a cancer that just eats them alive because they just let this persecution, the attacks on them, reside in their life as this unforgiveness. Again, Jesus is very clear in Luke chapter 11. He said, when, in the, in a, when we pray this, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. In Colossians 3, I love the way this, this term says, it says, make allowance. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Why? Because you remember, you remember, God forgave you, so you need to forgive them. That word allowance, I think we, we could replace that with grace. Give grace to people. Is anybody in the room perfect? Anybody, let me ask you this. I asked some, some youth this one time because they were all saying, well, I don't misbehave. I obey my parents. I, you know, and they were telling me how perfect they were. A bunch of little goody two-shoes. And I asked them, okay, in your school, have you ever missed a question? Any question. From kindergarten till now, have you ever just blown it? Got the answer wrong. Not been completely perfect. And they all, well, of course. Well, then you need grace. Because unless you're perfect, the Bible says you can't go to heaven. You can't be with God unless you're perfect. So that's why the blood of the perfect one had to pay for our sins. That we're, that, and that means we got to give grace because we receive grace. So refuse to let persecution reside as unforgiveness. Make allowance. People aren't perfect. People are going to do dumb things. How do you know? Because I work with people every day. And we all do dumb stuff. And we all say stupid stuff. Because we're human, and we're all fighting this, this battle against us to, to drive us away from God as we try to push ourselves 
toward God. Now the third one. Ushers, you can do your thing. Guys, you can come. Here's where it's going to get a little sticky because we're going to put some feet to this. Are you ready? Okay, I'll just quit now then. Are y'all ready? Okay. Still love me when I'm done, right? All right, just making sure. Here's the thing. You overlook and look to the person. God, that's hurting me, but there's something in there they need that I have. You don't let persecution land and reside as unforgiveness. And then the third one is you need to pray a blessing. Now, that is not praying in the Old Testament. I'm going to pray down thousands of locusts and bugs on your, on your house and that, that you, you erupt and boils and itch and rot on your body. That's not praying. That's, that's a curse. That's not what I mean pray. That you pray, God, whatever they need, God, give them because I don't know. And I can't give them what they need right now because I want to punch him in the nose. Pray a blessing. Here's the hard part. Say a blessing. Even if it's this. Jesus, you died for them. And maybe all you can get out, say something. And I, I, I'm, I'm joking, but in really, I'm serious, because it's hard. It's hard to even look somebody in the eye and go, you, Jesus loves you. I don't, but Jesus does. Pray a blessing. Say a blessing. And we're going to take it up a notch. Are you ready? You have to actually be a blessing. Do something. Years ago, I think we were traveling. I can't remember where I was. I was in a restaurant on a ministry trip, and somebody around, we were at a restaurant after whatever the meeting was, and in this restaurant, there was these people beside us, and they were jerks, all of them. They're just loud and obnoxious, bumping your chair, throwing food. And at the end, they were ahead of us in eating. And so a guy that was with me called the waiter over and said, bring me their ticket. And I didn't know what, we were all mad. So I thought, man, what's he going to do? Like order another, you know, $5,000 worth of food and stick it on that ticket? Or Anyway, they bring the ticket and the three of us decided we're gonna, we paid for their ticket. And the waitress came over. Now, we had been, they'd been yan-yan at us, annoying us, screaming. We couldn't have a dinner. We were having a meeting and needed to be able to have a conversation. It just, it was, it was aggravating. And I remember us, like, we were praying for them. I can't say I prayed anything good. Probably shouldn't have said some of the things we said. But I remember this at the end when we just decided, God, that was wrong. I'm sorry. And we paid for that meal. That, and the waiter took it over and the people asked, well, how much do we owe and want to divide it up? They were even, even giving the waitress a hard time. You can even tell she didn't even want to do it. And she said, nope. She goes, your bill's been paid. They were like, and they all stood up and started to bolt. And then one of them Stop and say, wait a minute. Uh Uh-oh. Who paid for it? And the waitress was like, and we're all sitting there like, 
and you could just see the vileness, the anger, the mess on all the whole group just went. Never said a word to them. They waved, we waved back. My preference is to believe that in that moment they realized we just received something we didn't deserve. Look what the Bible says in, in Matthew. In Matthew 5 says, You have heard the law that says, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus then says, But I say, love your enemies. And you need to pray for those who persecute you. You need to pray my will, God's will, for them. But he doesn't stop there. Why don't you go ahead and stand with me? I'm going to read this to you, and we're going to sing one more song as we leave. Look what this says in Romans. It says, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you're honorable. They don't want to just hear about your honorableness. Let them see it. I think that's why we end up paying that tab. In the next verse, it says, Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. I'm going to give you a little off the hook, but it's rare. There are times you do everything you can, and they're still going to be a jerk, and they're still going to make your life miserable. But Jesus goes on and says, Never take revenge. Leave the righteousness anger to God. Let him deal with it. For God says, I'm going to take revenge. I'll pay them back. I'll deal with it. And look what it says in verse 20. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, here comes the pray it, say it, and be it. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heat burning coals of shame on their heads. Now, if you really understand that idiom, that idiom comes from the Jewish side in the Old Testament. And in the old, in the, when the Old Testament was written, fire was a commodity. So people would keep coals burning all the time. What this is actually saying is, I want you to not only do for them, give them food, give them water, but I want you to give them one of your most valuable possessions, which is, at that time was a hot coal. It wasn't putting something on there to hurt them. To, I mean, as you imagine, put coal on your head, it's going to burn. It was actually heaping the coal meant, I'm giving you something of value. I'm doing good to you. And that would then begin to change them by the shame. Because now they're realizing they're giving me something of value. The sad thing is there are people, even when you give them something they don't deserve, they don't react. That's not your decision. Our decision is to do what God's asked us to do. Because he finishes it with this. Go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes. He says this. He says, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing something good. God, I just thank you in Jesus' name. God, help us. Not everything I've said today, God, applies to me. Help me do this. To stand firm and to love well. To stand firm for what you've taught us, what the Word says, the things that are right. But God, help us 
let anyone in any condition come through those doors and experience every bit of the love of God that I have, even when my life was screwed up. God, I thank you for that this morning. God, I thank you that we get to experience that here. The Bible tells us that Jesus is, it's easy to be saved. Sometimes it's hard to walk out, but this initial step is easy. But for those of you who say, well, I don't know this Jesus. I've never made that decision. I don't know that God looks at me clean and whole. He may look at me as, as my sin, but the Bible says Jesus is what changes that. And the change comes, and the Bible says that you believe it in your heart, you confess it with your mouth, that Jesus is who he says he is. And then he begins to teach you. You don't have to figure it all out now. You just have to believe by faith that, that is true. If that's you this morning, just before we go, we're going to sing one more song and get out of here. If that's you this morning, just wave at me real quick. If you're online, send us a message. I want to pray with you. We never leave here without doing that. Anybody else? All right, then real quick, let's just pray this. Say, Lord Jesus, today I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, now look at me. I had to tell you this. This ain't easy. And I know it's not easy. But it doesn't change what we're supposed to be doing. Amen? Amen. Let me bless you and we'll go. God, I thank you for being so good to us. I thank you that, God, it is well with us because we serve you, we follow you. And God, that today we will encounter those who maybe persecute us, but we will see them as you see us, Father God, through the blood of Jesus, restored, holy, and righteous. And we thank you for it now, Father. In Jesus' name.